0: Welcome to the smoke bit before our interview later on this episode with congressional candidate podcast host and author Anna Paulina Luna, also an Air Force veteran. Make sure I throw that in there. I wanted to bring Dylan back on the assistant editor in chief and pop smoke media to talk about some of the uh, the bigger articles that we had because we're super proud of this website. We're uh, we think we have around 70 articles out already in the last three, three and a half weeks that we've been posting. So that's pretty cool. Dylan, say hi. Hey everybody. Welcome back. So
1: we uh we've been doing a fair
0: amount of writing
1: recently. Yeah, I mean, my fingers are just crumpling right now <laughs> under uh, the weight and gravity of speaking the truth to the the American populace. Yeah, I actually uh sprained a finger one time in kindergarten cuz I was bearing on my pencil too hard. Uh it's essentially the same now with the keyboard.
0: <laughs> and you jacked your finger up too when you uh you Sat in uh, in your car and your your keys rebelled. Yeah, I uh,
1: they flayed my finger off pretty much.
0: Yeah, he came in. And he's like, check this out, dude. And yeah, you know, I'm, thankfully I'm not squeamish because it was gruesome. Yeah, be mindful of your keys, folks. <laughs> so uh, some of the the most popular articles that we've posted out recently, uh, we covered a story of a North Korean defector who has recently done some. Interviews and she talked about her time as basically just being a, a living nightmare. Yeah, I mean that's the only way I would describe it. Yeah, you have to um, you have to remember that the, we we can't independently verify all the claims, and you know we would like to believe that people have the best intent. Uh, so you know don't don't hold us over the barrel if anything uh, comes out later on. But however, I thought that it bared consideration, particularly for the fact that she said some things that like she never knew what it was like to be full. Like she had never had enough food in in
1: her stomach to ever actually like have that sensation of feeling full. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the running narrative. I, uh, I remember I read an article a handful of days ago about the North Korean military being forced to celebrate by eating dog meat. And, uh, that fits right into place with that, I think.
0: (laughs) And it's, um, it's been crazy the response that we received we um i i had somebody who reached out to me that said a close friend of theirs who was in the military with them um had escaped from north korea with their family when uh when he was uh but a but a child and he said when he got to america one of the first meals that he had was uh, a cheeseburger and he said that uh, he told his parents that when he was eating this cheeseburger, he was like, I will never not eat enough of these ever again. And he was like, I don't care how fat
1: I get. Like, I will never not eat cheeseburgers ever again. It's like the the worst moment to discover you're lactose intolerant. Yeah. And, uh,
0: you know, thankfully in the in the military, they, they PT uh, you into the ground. So for the most part, you you stay in, in pretty good shape, but you can't outwork a, a bad diet. And that leads us into the another article that we had was fairly popular. Our veteran-owned business of the week was Military BJJ. It's a company that uh, encourages troops to uh, explore the, the the benefits of jiu-jitsu.
1: Yeah, I mean, it turns out that kicking ass um, in a jocular or recreational manner actually has some benefits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, you
0: cited a study in the article that um, that was evidence to that, so make sure to check them out. Another cool story we had was uh, from uh, a page called
1: uh, Tales from the Grid Square. yeah, I mean i I'm a huge fan of ghost stories, and this is no different. Um, it's an interesting perspective i uh, I've never really seen anything quite like it. yeah they
0: uh they break down some of the uh more interesting paranormal experiences and stories that they've come across in in their studies and their research. additionally to that. Let's see here some of the headlines. Mexico sues multiple gun manufacturers for $10 billion. Uh, apparently, a lot of uh, firearms are making their way from U.S. manufacturing plants into Mexico. Uh, funny enough, we, uh, we posted a video not too long ago on uh, the Pop Smoke social channels of um, imagine this being the last thing you see, and it was a gunship, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you never see a gunship. it take you out from you know half a mile away. And to this, I would say... That I am an incredibly paranoid individual, and I have been proven wrong before, and I hate it so I, I try not to post anything unless I have an at least an associate's degree worth of information about it because I don't like being called out, you know, and you know you post one thing in error, then you know, a bunch of guys uh tell you that you're wrong, and you spend the next forty seven nights thinking about it at two a m uh so i along with it or shortly after. I uh, I posted a video of a gunship in Mexico taking out an alleged cartel kingpin from only a few hundred feet away in the
1: air. Take that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to say the check that out. Also read that article. Let's see here. What else we got? We did a, Dylan did a great breakdown of the nearly one trillion dollar infrastructure bill. And with that, I gotta say we we do our best not to take a moral stand when it comes to things. However, we're just trying to arm you with facts so that way, you know, you don't get called out at your next uh, family gathering. You know, you're sitting there trying to eat some of Granny's meatloaf and your uncle says that your facts are
1: wrong. You can't have that. I mean, if your uncle thinks your facts are wrong, he's right. (laughs) Whether he is or whether he's not, he's right.
0: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of which, uh, we did a fact-checking article of uh, did Washington mandate vaccines? You check that out. Uh, Justin Egan did a great review of The Suicide Squad. So if you're thinking about watching, spending the money to watch that movie, you could check out his review. Uh, we also covered uh, the suspicious death of Corporal Brandon
1: Javier Alvarez. Tragic. Absolutely tragic. I, uh, I, I would just encourage you to look into that. Um, the family right now is trying to figure out what exactly happens, but, you know, no information has really come out about it.
0: So would you tell our listeners a a little bit about the backstory? Like, of of course, we want to drive people to the website so we can keep the lights on. However, you know, we we do talk freely about a lot of issues on here that, you know, bear the consideration.
1: Yeah, I mean, this young Marine was uh, stationed in Bahrain and, you know, his family lost contact for about a day and then... Almost immediately after that, you know, he was found dead and they haven't really received any word of what actually went down. Um, According to his mom, the dude had bruises all over his face and they were prevented from being able to look into the casket to verify.
0: That sounds pretty horrid. Like if that was my son or daughter and that had happened to them, you know, you'd, you'd want answers.
1: Yeah, it's uh, sort of like a dateline kind of moment. So uh,
0: make sure to check that out. That that story really deserves to be uh, to be spread. We also did another story uh, called Barracks Nightmares. This is not part of the sacrifice. And there's a page called Military Slumlords, I believe, uh, that they um, they expose a lot of these things. And we have done articles in the past. And uh, this page is pretty much dedicated to uh, military housing slumlords on Facebook and Instagram. They wrote an op-ed for us. Uh, detailing some of the struggles that people who live in the barracks have to face like mold and um, not potable, non potable water. Is that how you say it? Non
1: potable
0: potable. Yeah. You have yeah. the the water buffalo and one of them you can't drink. One of them you can't drink. And I'm like, why is the other one even there? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so they, they did a great article about that. We also covered and again, not trying to take a stance on this, but uh, the mayor of Washington, D.C., made an interesting uh, reversal of policy if you will
1: yeah so uh, essentially you know they had a sweeping budget cut last year and now they've you know recruited about i'd say a fifth of the manpower that they planned to in terms of the mpd um and she's just trying to sort that out without uh reflecting on any of the mistakes that led to that point
0: yeah, they, uh, they have a very large budget. The amount that they, they slash versus what they're asking for to recuperate some of those officers that they, they couldn't either recruit or uh, retain may not seem like a lot, but when you talk about perspective of the American taxpayer, they're asking for an additional $15 million to recruit more police officers because they've had unprecedented gun violence.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it follows a surge in uh, homicides in D.C., and, I mean, we're already past the point that they were at last year, so.
0: Keeping in with that mind, uh, please remember that all things in the smoke spit, that, you know, we're not exactly here to tell you what to lean uh, which way politically, but we'd like to have the open and honest discord, and we all believe in you enough to know that uh, you can make your own decision. <laughs> so uh, with that, please enjoy this interview. Thanks, guys. Do you want to look handsome as fuck? Well, then you should try combat comb over for your hair and your face and your beard. And then once you have all that additional swagger, you need something to carry it around in. Use the nut ruck by Arbor Arms.
1: And while you're uh, carrying that nut ruck, you should also remember to keep yourself as fresh as possible because you never know what might happen when you're looking that good. So keep yourself some body powder from Hollywood Powder Company.
0: Use our discount code SMOKEPIT on all of our sponsors to save yourself some money. Today, joining us, we have Anna Paulina Luna. She is a congressional candidate for 2022, as well as an author and the host of Luna Talks with Anna Paulina. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Did I get all that right? You did. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. Kind of a (laughs) mouthful. One less thing I have to edit afterwards. All right. So you uh, had a very... uh, kind of eerily similar upbringing to mine. Uh, we both come from um, Hispanic families. We uh, both uh, came from situations where we had uh, single parents and uh, there was poverty and you know violence surrounding our upbringings. And we kind of used the military as a way to um, improve our life situation. One of the things that I can uh, say about uh, America is the fact that there is always the opportunity for someone to, uh, improve their situation. So, uh, w- would you walk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So, basically, I mean, a lot of times I think sometimes people look at me and they have this automatic assumption that I'm probably just some chick that drinks pumpkin spice lattes and wears yoga pants. But as far as from the truth, you know, growing up, I did grow up within the welfare system. Uh, my father struggled with a very severe drug addiction. And honestly, so did a lot of my mom's side of the family. So that was something that I didn't realize were abnormal conditions and circumstances. By the time I had even, you know, been nine years old, I was in involved in survived an armed robbery. Uh, by the time I graduated, I'd gone to six high schools, one of which there was a gang shooting on campus. And again, I just thought that that was normal life and normal circumstance. It wasn't until I was literally at a house party and there is two Marines talking and they're talking about how they're starting classes on Monday. And I looked at them. I'm like, you guys are so young. You You guys look about 18, 19 years old, the same age I was. And so I ended up asking them, you know, how did you, how are you paying for school? And they told me that they went to recruiter. They told me about the Marine Corps. And so I basically went on MapQuest. So to kind of date my age a little bit printed out directions to a recruiter's office and ended up there. And it was in the military that not only I met my husband, but it really did, like you said, set me up for success because I had never had structure. I didn't even know how to apply to college. I remember like walking into the base education office and having them sit down and say, have you ever taken the SAT or the ACT? And I had no idea what they were talking about. So for people like us, the military is definitely a way not just to you know take you out of a bad situation, but I think a way to set a lot of young people up for success not having that accumulated debt of going to college and whatnot.
0: And that uh, that is something that you talk about uh, on your podcast, which is available on iHeartRadio for everyone listening. You take your situation and you made the best of it and you had um, a good career in the Air Force and you transitioned out. And uh, would you tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote?
2: Yeah. So what I realized is in 2014, my husband is shot in Afghanistan And what I had realized was the military for as much as, and I know everyone listening to this, who's been through these PowerPoint briefings. I mean, like they talk about sometimes what happens when people get back. My husband's job was a combat controller is a combat controller. And so it's air force special operations for the most part. And I remember sitting in some of these briefings and they said, you know, it takes a little bit of time for the guys to wind back down, um, give them about 30 days. They should be fine after that. But that was the extent of kind of what I was told to expect. And then after he got hurt, there was really just a lot that I observed that I wasn't aware of. And I remember when I was at Walter Reed one of the family liaison counselors, I'm pretty sure he was a um a former SEAL, but he was volunteering there in Maryland. And he's like, you should really read this book. I just think that you need to kind of prepare for like what you might go through with your husband. And I didn't, it, I didn't really click. I was so focused on, you know, getting him back home and everything. And so I wrote the book in an effort to really inform family. And I think, spouses, especially, and even boyfriends and girlfriends on what happens with PTSD and what the families go through. All of the entire book is actually based on true stories and not just stories that I experience, but stories that are close friends and and people that we worked with went through. And I wanted to provide that perspective because I feel like Hollywood really does kind of make war glamorous. You see that movie Pearl Harbor, and it's like these epic love stories, but it's not always easy. And I wanted, to people, I wanted people to have a realistic perspective. So I wrote the book. Um, you can actually buy it now. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. Um, you can do the download for it now, at least. And then the actual hard copy releases next month.
0: We were having discussion earlier um, about the, the various inaccuracies that you see in Hollywood. Uh, you know, one of them is the uh, the unlimited magazines that uh, you see. <laughs> yeah. You see in the firefights. I um I, I can tell you firsthand that uh, magazines dry up a lot quicker than you they they than you would expect them to. <laughs> so, uh, the the title of the book is "Bring Them Home," and is that available now?
2: Yeah, it's available now. You can actually pre-order it. You can go to Amazon if you just type it in bringing them home. And then my name is well you'll see it. You can also get it on at barnesandnoble.com. But you know it's interesting because when I wrote the book initially, I got feedback from women that were didn't really feel comfortable coming forward and asking these questions. And it was honestly super hard for me to write because there is a lot of my personal story woven into that. Obviously though, I wanted to, you know, protect um, people's identities and everything. So I did change dates and names just so that, you know, people weren't embarrassed, but you know, it's, it's an important thing that we all need to realize that war is not glamorous and that, you know, if you are with someone in the military, that it's important to have that understanding going into it because there's so many people, I'm sure, you know, so many people that have been divorced most of our friends are on their third marriages and it's because war really is a meat grinder for relationships.
0: There's a bit of a misconception that there's a higher divorce rate in the military and uh recent studies have showed that's uh, not necessarily the, the case compared to America but just kind of as a whole it seems that within like the last few generations uh, you know things have Uh, Things have gotten tough and, you know, you see a lot of uh, people, you know, ourselves included growing up with, um, uh, you know, broken homes. And, you know, how do you you think that kind of uh, affects someone's mentality as far as like, do you think that makes them more of a a prime candidate for the military because they're used to having to be resilient
2: I don't know. I think for, for the most part, from what I saw is I saw people from all different walks of life in the military when I served. So I, you know, I saw people that were trust fund kids and I saw people that were growing up in the inner cities of Chicago to where they couldn't go back because, you know, they had family members that were in and out of the gang lifestyle. So I don't necessarily know if that nec- will make someone a prime candidate. But what I will say is that from what I found, most people ended up joining the military because they were looking for a sense of purpose. And for young people especially, and I know when I joined in 2009, I mean, we were talking about being in the middle of a, a tanked economy. So, there was a lot of opportunity for me to grow and for me to have a job and healthcare. So all of that were, were factors, but I will say, I mean, I haven't seen stats, but I, I know that in my husband's career field, there was a divorce rate of upwards of 90%. And for us, it was really hard because you see what everyone's going through. And I mean, PTSD is a thing. It's not just a stigma. And I think that more people need to talk about it, not necessarily in a victim mentality, but saying, Hey, there's a way, obviously you've been through something. There's a way to deal with this health in a healthy fashion and that you can, you know, recover from it.
0: Well, fantastic. Um, So after you, you, you left the military, you started becoming uh, very involved in uh, local politics and trying to actively shape the, uh, the future of the country. And uh, I got to say, we, we usually avoid uh, talking about politics on the show because I've noticed in this day and age that things get so decisive where you can agree with 90% of what somebody says, but if you disagree with one policy that uh, somebody has, then you know you kind of get bombarded by the side like, oh, well, you must love the other guy. And that, no, that's just not the case. There's just never been a politician that I've agreed with 100% on with everything. I mean even the the last two presidential candidates had seven or eight major talking points that they agreed on you know I mean out of like the thirty or forty uh major talking points, but at least seven or eight of them they agreed on so I feel like there there is some common ground that I feel that just like the military, we're able to put aside our our backgrounds and our our um our different upbringings and come together and accomplish a mission. How do you think that um we can be less divisive when we, uh, we talk about politics. And how do you feel that we can make, you know, less enemies and make more, uh, make more bipartisan partnership?
2: I think that there's a huge problem right now with two things, one, social media and then also media. So you have on a regular basis on social media. Countries like Russia and China bombarding the American people with disinformation, and whether that's in the form of bot accounts, whether that's in the form of actual postings, fake accounts, and or memes, um, what it ends up doing is it ends up stirring the pot. And so you might be arguing with someone on, you know, your Instagram or your Twitter, your Facebook, and that actually might not even be a person; that just might be an algorithm. That's not a weird tin hat conspiracy theory. That's absolutely the truth. And then you have this aspect of media that, and having worked in media, you have a. A lot of what it's based on is ratings. Well, what causes high ratings, controversial topics, controversial statements. And so I highly doubt anytime soon that we're going to see the mainstream media really talk about what improvements we can collectively do together or where we are at in a positive light in this country, because it doesn't feed their ad revenue. It doesn't feed their ratings. And honestly, it's fueled by money. But what we can do is we can have conversations. So what I try to do on my podcast actually is I try to make it informational. I give people the sound bites, basically of things that I've observed through the last couple of days, usually trending topics. And I let them decide and then I give my perspective. But, you know, I'm also from a family that wasn't necessarily political. And honestly, I'm kind of the redheaded stepchild, as they say, because, you know, I am conservative and most of my family is staunchly liberal. So you can imagine our Thanksgiving conversations are probably interesting. But at the end of the day, I realize you know, I love my family and I respect them for le- their beliefs and they respect me as well.
0: Yeah, you make a great point. I um I was uh covering a um uh, a military event in in Moscow a few years back and on my way back uh there was a, a billboard uh, and it was sponsored by the state uh the the Russian state media uh and it said, you know, you missed a flight? Did you lose an election? Blame it on us. And <laughs> it it was kind of, you know, um uh, a big shot at uh one of the, uh, the candidates. And so I get back and I, I'm having lunch with uh, Tim Kaine, you know, who was uh, Clinton's running mate. And, and again, you know, I'm not uh, super divisive when it comes to politics. He's on the armed service committee, his son's a Marine. He's my, he's one of my uh, senators. So like, you know, it, it's important to have these conversations. And so I tell him that and I'm like, did you know that they're running these ads in the airport? And he's like, I did not like, could you send my team like a copy of your <laughs> article? And so it's just like, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, it's not just Russia or China, you know, there are hundreds of other countries out there that, you know, they, they all kind of look to us as the example. We so, uh, statistically speaking have been in one armed conflict or another for over 90% of our existence as a country. You know, you, you could list dozens of different conflicts and a lot that probably most of the American people have forgot about like Grenada, Panama, uh, Kosovo, uh, the banana campaigns, you know, we, there's there's so much out there that we've we've uh, we've touched so many other uh, foreign soils with uh, with our boots that has kind of really shaped who we are as a country where a lot of people kind of look to us and whether it's our entertainment industry our music industry uh, our authors our politics our technology you know our space race whatever the case is a lot of people look to to America and sometimes that is a double edged sword but in the fact of the matter when it comes to that you look at the amount of people who have served in the military and then the positive impact that they have had in the civilian sector. And you know, unfortunately, many of our World War II veterans are passing away. The population of veterans has dwindled from, I think, somewhere in the 20% to down to around 8% was the last um, survey that I saw recently. And with that, the amount of uh, veterans in politics has also shrunk. And so could you kind of speak to us a little bit about why you feel that as a veteran, it is important for you to have a voice um, at the Capitol?
2: Yeah, actually, that's interesting that you bring that up because I actually just had this discussion. It used to be after World War II that I think over 50% of representatives were veterans in some capacity and and had served. It's extremely important, mainly because you think about what's happening at the Capitol. We are well they are voting to send people to war, right? But how could you expect them to understand what the military families are going through what the needs of the military members are if they've never even served themselves and if they have no skin in the game? And so when you have this type of you know military industrial complex that exists in Washington DC and you have so many people that benefit, privately from making money off of war. I mean, it's important to have people there that say, but is this best for the American people? Is this best for our soldiers? Is this a, are we adequately taking care of them after the fact? Cause I can tell you right now, like you said, we have a decline in veterans because of, you know, the amount of people that are now passing away where I happen to live. We have the highest percentage of Vietnam veterans in the country. Cause we have one of the biggest Uh, VA hospitals, which is Bay Pines. And I can tell you that it's it's extremely frustrating to have these people still suffering and trying to get disability from being exposed to agent orange, everyone and their grandmother knows that agent orange is a carcinogen that it causes cancer that it has these awful, awful effects. Well, who made agent orange? It was Monsanto, one of the biggest lobbyists now in Washington DC and working in the farming industry. So why is it that we are giving benefits to other people that honestly haven't even paid into our tax system. And yet our veterans, the ones that actually went to fight wars, the ones that were exposed and honestly a very small percentage in the grand scheme of Things. Why is it that they aren't getting their benefits? And so I think that it's through legislation that you can fix those issues, but it takes people that genuinely understand them and know how the VA process works. And I'm honestly tired of hearing about people that read about it in books and haven't experienced it.
0: I have talked to a, a few of my my friends who have been um, in that game. And I've, you know, I've had a bunch of different conversations with, you know, vets who have, you know, served in office. One of the things that I find uh, from my perspective, that is kind of the most difficult is you kind of really have to ally yourself with the uh, where the money is and where the uh, you know the super PACs go. And it's it's kind of hard sometimes because it seems that when you read some of the memoirs of people who have gotten out of Congress, like they kind of go in with this big ideals of you know what do they want to do and how they want to do things. But just in the two years that I've been working with Burn Pits 360, trying to get Toxic exposure legislation passed, like it's difficult. Yeah, it is really difficult. Things move so slowly. Nobody wants to cooperate. Like it's like the DMV with, you know, um, know, a multi trillion dollar budget. And it's so difficult to actually get things
2: done. Yeah, it's a huge problem. I can tell you that there's a great website for those. Look, I don't care if you're a Democrat, independent, or Republican, go to this website. It's called opensecrets.org. And you can type in a representative's name and you can see exactly where they're taking money from. And I think that that's really important because you trust these people to go vote on your behalf. And you realize that majority of representatives, by the time they get into office, are typically controlled because of the money that they're taking. And so I've actually made it a point in my campaign to ensure that I'm actually funded by the grassroots. Um, but you know, separately from that, that these are all things that again, I cover on my show. And it's important because I think that if we really knew, if the American people knew what was happening in DC truly behind the smoke screen. a lot of people wouldn't be turning on, you know, the mainstream media. And honestly, I suggest to people, you know, get married, have kids, enjoy your life, turn off the TV and get involved at the local level because ultimately national politics all starts at the local level. And so we need people to get involved at the school board level. We need people to ensure that their County commissioners know what the constitution is, know what it's like to have served. I encourage most veterans. I think if you've served in that capacity, you should try serving again in the federal or. Or the local or even national, um, state capacity as well.
0: You make a fantastic point, uh, as far as following the money and the, the importance of kind of, you know, keeping people honest in that capacity. And I would add to that, that just as important as that is to actually check the, uh, the voting records because it's, it's really easy to, to pander or placate towards somebody because you think that's what, you know, your constituents want to hear, but it's really disheartening when, you know, we go and I'm um, not in the business of naming names again, why make uh, enemies when you can make friends, but uh, you know, it's really disheartening when you go into a veteran's legislator office and you're like, Hey, you know, we've been trying to get this toxic exposure. Like, do you want to join the caucus? Like, would you like to look it over and maybe give us any recommendations of, you know, how this can get pushed through better or what kind of uh, pushback to uh, expect so that way we can you know, prepare for it or maybe change something. And a lot of them are just like, nah, no, we're good. Push it I really we'll hope. Yeah.
2: I really hope that off record you give me those names because I would love, I would love to know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes how you fix that is you put a big spotlight on it. And honestly, people like that that use the veteran card to get elected and then don't do anything for the veteran community are the ones that actually piss me off the most. Excuse my language.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I will probably um, give myself a uh, a nice. Uh, glass of Jameson after the show for the, <laughs> the, the little amount of profanity that I've used. Uh, I'm trying to make it a clean episode. Cause I know you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not slumming it in the smoke pit. Like we usually do where, um, <laughs> you know, we're <laughs> trying to keep this as above board as possible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not easily offended, but I do appreciate the clean episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. We had to do a clean episode for, for the Marine Corps and oh, it was awful. <laughs> it, it was, it was terrible. And then I don't even think they used it. Like, they're like, no, even this is still like a little edgy like, <laughs> Come on, guys. Like you guys made me. Okay.
2: Well, I will say this, you know, I have the inner service jokes, but I've never met a Marine that didn't have a good sense of humor. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> what advice would you give to uh, veteran's Additionally, if they want to become um, active in shaping their community, I know it it is one thing to kind of, you know, we we have the idea that, yes, it is important to, uh, you know, get elected into different positions and to go to meetings and serve and stuff like that, but not everyone necessarily has the ability to do that. So without, you know, having to place your hand on a Bible and get sworn into an office, what advice would you give to veterans who are trying to make a better future for their children?
2: I would say the best thing that you can do is get involved locally and definitely at the school boards, because that's something that you can show up to a meeting. You don't necessarily have to hold a position, but you should voice your opinion and hold these people accountable. And obviously your kids, everything that they're learning, everything that they're absorbing in their education system is something that ultimately impacts our country, not just for their generation, but for future generations as well. Also too, you know, there's ways that you can get involved with your local church. I know a lot of veterans. I know I, when I first got out, I was just like, what do I do with my time? I went from such a structured schedule. And then it was all of a sudden, like, I didn't have, you know, my friends that I was serving with. And there's, a, I always try to explain it to civilians, but there's this bond that you get with other military members, especially when you're on base. And, you know, there's that time in your life. and It's just it's so exciting. And then it's, it's after you cut ties with that and you kind of separate to whether it's going to school or whether it's to start your career, or maybe it's for family reasons, you kind of miss that camaraderie. So it's always good to have that. And I would also say that, you know, organizations like the Purple Heart Foundation are now looking for younger veterans to take over. And, you know, you have your American Legions and all of these organizations are literally waiting for the next generation to come in and say, hey, look, we want someone to help organize. We need some of the younger vets to come in. Because I can tell you that I go to of mine out here. And there, a lot of them are older people. Maybe the, I think my husband and I are both the youngest and obviously Andy served in GWAT, but you know, it it's nicer to have more people come in and fill those boots. And so I tell people to get involved in any capacity that you can, but if there is a veteran here, that's considering it, I will say you know what? Continue your service. I'm always going to air that someone should run for office because I think that we need more people to do it. And I think that we need less career politicians and more people that are just your average Americans.
0: I just kind of had this vision of uh, (laughs) you, like you're 65 and you're just like, Oh, I'm running on a pose this season. And it's like player two (laughs) has entered the match. And it's just like a new upstart, you know, uh, (laughs) veteran. And you're just like, Hmm. Eat my words,
2: (laughs) (laughs) eat my words. No, I really do hope that though. And that's the thing is like, I love Florida. I don't love DC and I don't want to be a career politician. And honestly, like you said, I mean, even just campaigning is so draining, right? Like I have my podcast, I produce that, um, or I help write it. And then I have my book and I have so much going on. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're all fighting, I think for the same vision of what the best angle is for our country. But I do think that politics gets nasty and like, I'm not in the business of wanting to be you know, abused by the public for the next 20 years. So <laughs> I'm not a sociopath. Um, I love my family very much. And so I would honestly welcome that, you know, I don't plan on being there for 20 years and I don't even plan on being there for 10 years. So That's run fair. for office.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I I highly believe that there should be uh, term limits because even as yes. um, a millennial, like We're rapidly approaching um, old age ourselves. Um, I feel like
2: we're kind (laughs) of- Hold on there.
0: (laughs) No, because you you think about it. Many of us were the last generation to actually grow up without uh, the internet, you know, or at the very least it, um, you know, it wasn't as widely as accessible. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was, I think, 19 or 20. Like I had to- Do you remember LimeWire? Yeah, I remember getting- (laughs) I I remember getting whooped with the belt for the viruses I put on that computer.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah I'm over here trying to download the new kid rock song and I'm you know, <laughs> crashing the family PC. That's so um, funny. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, particularly because it's just like I remember the first cell phone that I ever had, like you had to press the button a bunch of times. You know, when you um you met a met a girl, like you had to ask for her number and then hope she was home when you called and hope her dad didn't answer, you know. <laughs> and so I, I look at things now and there are, there are people serving that weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. And I remember exactly where I was. And yeah. so as we you know, rapidly approach and you know, Smash Mouth really hit the nail on the head, like the years start <laughs> coming, they do not stop coming. And so as we, we rapidly you know, um, hurl ourselves towards the future, how can we as um, our generation avoid making a lot of the same mistakes that I feel that past generations have made, because it's not about our ego. It's not about our parents or our grandparents' ego. It's just about making the military and the world a better place for the children and the people who are coming up.
2: I think that this is a two-part question, right? Because you have a lot of the previous generation that passed legislation that has impacted at the moral and social levels of society. So for example, in the 70s, Late sixties, early seventies. Two-fold thing. One thing was the expansion of the welfare state, which I grew up in the welfare system. You know, I had family members on it, um, and eventually family members that got off of it. But the point is, is I think where that was something that was initially intended to help people because of the way that it was written, saying that okay, if you have a mother, for example, that needs to get welfare to actually help provide for her children. Well, if she has or she gets married, she'll lose those benefits. So there's no segue for those people to get off of the system. And honestly, then you have this aspect of if you remove a, ch- a father from a home, that it actually will impact the development of the child. And they actually have done studies specifically in the African-American community where you basically see an increase in incarceration rates. You see an increase in high school dropout. So you do need this... I think nuclear family, whether it's black, white, Hispanic, Asian, or native in order to actually help set children up for their success in the future. And I think, you know, based on what you told me, and I know that it was really hard not having my dad at home. It was really hard having my dad, you know, call me, collect call from jail. Um, and I did struggle with that later on in life. And I saw that whether it was, you know, in my relationships or whether it was in my marriage, different things that I realized I was like, wow, I'm having to actually work through this from, you know, a childhood issue. But, you know, I think that things that we can do to avoid that is two things. One, correct that bad legislation and two, get involved. I say that because I feel like if I remember growing up, you know, politics in the 90s or like, you know, I was born in 89. So really politics in the 90s and then the early 2000s. I did not see the level of engagement that I'm seeing today, especially with the younger generation. And so that gives me hope for the future because ultimately, you know, we are a constitutional republic, which means our representatives are supposed to represent the wants of the American people. And so if you have people engaged, the more people that are engaged, the harder that it is for these people to pass that special interest legislation and not be held accountable. And so the one thing I say is get involved, it might scare you, but if your dreams don't don't scare you, then you're not in the right field (laughs) and that ultimately you can try, but at the end of the day, you should always be putting your family first and, um, putting your personal health first as well.
0: Yeah. I, I feel that, uh, if I was given the, you know, the keys to the kingdom and they're like, Hey, you know, you could change one thing about the country right now. Um, it would definitely be our prison system. We have the highest, um, level of incarceration per capita of any country in the world, and we also have the highest level of people reoffending and going back, and then we also have the highest level of uh, probation bus. And you look at these for-profit prisons where some of them have numbers caps, where nonviolent offenders who would have otherwise been able to be released and given back to you know their, their families, they're forced to be kept because there's a requirement in a contract that these for-profit prisons have. We're one of the only countries out of like the bigger ones. We're the only ones who do this. And clearly it's not working. And it feeds into so many other things because the more people that are incarcerated, the more families that are destroyed, the more time you spend in jail, the less time you can spend building the American dream. And then once you get out, you don't have a lot of options. A lot of people reoffend Yeah. like here in Virginia. Like we got. We got open carry, we got concealed carry, and I got my gun on me nearly everywhere I go where it's permitted Same. by law. <laughs> when I'm pumping my gun on, like, I don't feel the weight on my hip because I'm afraid the, the government's going to quarter troops in my house. I'm afraid there's going to be a, you know, a drug addict that's going to pop out and try to rob me again.
2: Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those things that also too, when you realize that people go into the prison system, let's say you have a nonviolent offender, right? So someone that, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't get in trouble for stealing, but let's say you have someone that's stolen something and they end up going to prison and they're there for, you know, the max sentence. I mean, the, the fact is, is that I do feel that within the prison systems, there exists a double standard. And I think that those double standards need like, honestly, okay. I know you're not getting political, but like there are people in office who have done bad things and they don't get in trouble for it, right? Versus your average American citizen that does the same thing and then gets completely crucified for it. And so you realize that there's a psychological aspect as well, you know, prison, you're being lumped in with some pretty gnarly people. And so I think that when you take that into account, and then you realize that these people, once you have that on your record, it makes it very hard. Like, for example, let's say you're 18 years old and you committed a felony. Um, I know in the state of New Jersey, for example, they just basically repealed the laws for marijuana, right? So if you were 18 years old and you basically were charged for that you know, back 10 years ago, and then they repealed the laws. You still have that felony on your record now that it's legal in that state. So you're not able to get a normal job. Maybe you were 17 and they charged you as an 18 year old. There's these different factors that I think people that are attorneys, people that are judges, and even legislators have to look at. If you're going to change the law now for the entire state, then you have to take that into account because it really is affecting people's lives. And you are right. A lot of these people do end up becoming second time, third time offenders because they can't get jobs because that access is then therefore cut off for them. So it's something that we have to look at. And honestly, I do think that it's it's something that we need to study with the data so that we can ensure that we're correcting it for future generations.
0: Yeah. You, you fix the prison system. You spend more money on education. Uh, China's putting out more honor graduates a year than we're putting out graduates. Our yeah. education system is abysmal compared to, to other people. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I love my country. We got the most Olympic medals. We got the most Nobel Prizes. We got the yes. most flags <laughs> on the moon, like USA all day, baby. But like, at the same time, I can look at something that I love and judge it with a more truthful and honest eye because I do love it. And I am able to say with love, respectfully, like the end of those emails, you know,
2: <laughs> <that>
0: <laughs> this is this is something that, that we can do better. And I will, you know, I I will continue to you know advocate for the veterans and for the the people in this country. But we have to have an honest look with ourselves, and whether it's you know one office or another office or whatever the case is, my entire life I've had like, I it was Reagan, it was Bush Senior, it was Clinton, it was Junior, uh, W. And then it was um, Obama, then Trump, and then Biden. Like I've had all these presidents in my life, and I've never once been able to say that I agree 100% with anything that anyone does. And here's the thing, though. If you point out one thing wrong that somebody does, everybody immediately jumps down your throat. And now a lot of veterans like myself who are kind of more middle of the road, we might lean one way, we might lean another way, we can kind of see things from both sides now we're getting alienated because now it's not a fact that like okay i don't agree with the principles of your party i just have had so many bad interactions with people on that side that it leaves a bad taste in my mouth and now i want to vote against you just out of spite <laughs> now <laughs> well, i want to donate will say- just out of spite you know
2: <laughs> i will say don't let the few spoil it for the rest of us you know if you had a bad experience um realize that there are still some good people i think on both sides but, you know, from the angle that I'm at, it's that you're right. No one you're never going to agree with anyone 100 percent like that's just never going to happen. However, when you look at kind of the alternatives that we're left with and, you know, you, you look at it from the grand scheme of things. I talked about this on my podcast. So there's um, there's a movement that exists to, I think, hijack the DNC, which is the Democrat Party with, you know, ideas that wouldn't actually be reflective of what the true ideologies are of the DNC. And you see that happening and you see it from this, I think 18,000 foot level, and then you see it from the 400 foot level. And you realize that people, even if you're turned off to what's happening, you have to then try to fix it. And if you don't try to fix it, then we're just part, like part of that problem. I really did think, and you know, why I even got into politics is I was actually supposed to go to medical school. And I can tell you that there are days that I just think I'm like, you know, I could be sipping a coconut on the beach somewhere as a physician, not dealing with any of this. But then I realized that would I truly be able to go to sleep at night and not be stressed out about the national po- or, what's happening in national politics, because I realize that I have the ability to fix it. And I think that anyone listening to this show, if you really do get involved, you'll realize that there's a lot of room for people fixing things. I think just the term politics in general, though, kind of um, will, and sometimes does intimidate people because it seems so massive, but you can get involved and you can make a difference. And I think everyone should at least try.
0: No, for sure. Because it's a little bit baffling how, you know, we keep being told that, you know, Russia and China are catching up. But yet we spend we spend more than the next 15 to 20 countries in our military, most of which are allies. And so it's like, okay, well, if they're catching up, we obviously can't outspend them. So we need to do something to fix that. But then if you say that, people will say, like, oh, well, you're anti-military. Like, how am I anti? That's my entire life. Like.
2: (laughs) I tell uh, people too, you know, there's like part of the military spending budgets, like, let's say you have this pen, right? And they're charging like $25 a pen. It's like, why am I paying $25 a pen? I know we can make it for cheaper, but I feel like you have to be able to, you know, have a backbone and call people out on that because I don't think that we should be spending $25 for a pen when it costs two cents to produce. You know what I'm saying? And that goes back yeah. to those, that military industrial complex, you have to hold people accountable and say, Hey, we can get it for a cheaper price, but I still support this cause.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's a very nuanced and complex system where people try to have the cake and eat it too. Where they say like, oh, well, you know, they the military spends fifty dollars on a hammer and a hundred dollars on a toilet seat, but then everybody likes to um, to slam uh, military grade by saying it's by the lowest bidder. So you know, those those things kind of do come in in conflict with each other. And uh, one thing that I've noticed with uh, working with uh, various companies, because I, I I help run social media for for various companies that. Uh, do contracting and GSA and stuff like that. And so uh, a lot of times when contracts come out, they will select like the three lowest bidders. And then regardless of price, the person who has the best merit will win out of those three. And so you kind of have to submit your say, like, all right, the government comes out and they're like, all right, this is the job that we need to do. This is what we need this to accomplish, like everything like cryptocurrency or anything else like it has to accomplish a purpose. And so like, okay, this is the purpose that we're trying to accomplish. How much would it cost you to do this? And people submit their bids. And so that, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is sometimes contracts come out and they have certain requirements. Like uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who had submitted a contract and they're like, yeah, we got beat out. And I was like, man, I thought you had like a really competitive bid. Like it seemed like you had good stuff. And it was like, yeah, just, you know, the, the person who went up against me, they were a disabled Native American female veteran. And you know they they checked. oh they
2: had to check the box yeah
0: it's it's interesting to say the least because um you you look at the people who are the highest consumer of um of social programs and I I gotta say like you know there there are places in like say West Virginia that are you know just just really having a tough time yeah and so people will move factories there because they're what are called uh, hub zones like uh, historically underutilized business zones and. If somebody lives there or if you put a factory there, there are incentives. And so that is kind of like a government way to incentivize moving uh, business to areas that have historically been underutilized as, as per the namesake. But, you know, we don't want to get too far down that, that rabbit hole. Just, you know, we just need to rate it our, our budget a little bit because I don't think that it's that we don't need what we have. I just think that if we cut back on the fraud, waste, and abuse a little bit, we could reinvest that money into infrastructure and education, and you know, every, every study that I've read has shown is that the, the more um, access to education that you give people, the, the better the, the areas get.
2: That's exactly could not have be, been said better. Maybe you should run for office. Maybe we'll yep. get you to commit on the show. <laughs> Run you know, for I,
0: office. I uh, I I got too many uh, <laughs> too many scandals <laughs> on my name.
2: No, you know, see that's another thing. People get so weirded out. They're like, you know, I I had, you know, I was bankrupt once upon a time. I'm like, you think that other people aren't perfect? Like, you don't have to be perfect to run for office. I am definitely not perfect. I just own up all my stuff right up front, so no one can use it against me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I'd actually uh, considered that. And you know, as we kind of discussed earlier, um, funding. Is one of the uh, the most important things. Like, I I, I don't want to steal all the quotes from the newsroom, but
2: they uh,
0: <laughs> they said something that was like, you know, from the the moment that you know a congressman gets elected, they have to raise like ten grand a week for the the reelection campaign, yeah. which it, which won't even be for another eighteen months.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's you know, you can do it though. I think a lot of people respect the fact that you know outsiders are running for office now, and I can tell you that I fundraise and I'm a grassroots fundraiser myself. So it can be hard, but it's worth it. And um, don't let that get you down because I started with nothing and I was able to raise you know close to three million dollars. So
0: yeah, and so uh, if our listeners would like to look into your platform and learn more about your um, your. Your your journey moving forward. Where can they find you on social media?
2: You can head over to any of my social media. I literally have Getter Facebook, Parlor Instagram, Twitter. I have it all. At Real Anna Paulina, and then you can head over to um, find obviously Luna Talks on iHeart Radio. Wherever you get your podcast, you can download download it there and kind of tune in and see what I'm up to. I have some pretty like sassy episodes. So <laughs> if you liked what you heard today, it's like that times ten on my show. <laughs>
0: Are you uh, going to be at SHOT Show?
2: I am actually going to be at SHOT Show. We were going to go last year, and I've actually gone the last couple of years. And I actually started out within the firearm industry. So I was working with some different companies. So I will be there. Make sure you keep an eye out for me, Anna Paulina Luna. I like guns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah. So what, uh, what's your, what? what's your favorite gun to shoot then?
2: I actually have an AR-15, but my favorite was shooting a Barrett 50 cal because I had my hat on this way, yeah. and when I shot it, it literally blew my hat back, and so I have the video of that. It's kind of funny. I'm just lucky that it didn't hit me in the face; It would have definitely broken my nose.
0: Yeah, that uh, I've I've been scoped by some pretty high caliber weapons before, uh, and it's uh, the, that's what I tell people. They're like, "Man, you look like hell. Like, have you not been sleeping well?" I'm like, "Nah, man, just on the range, just getting scoped." You know, <laughs> like both eyes. I'm like, I'm ambidextrous.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: but next time you're out in Vegas, cause uh, we'll, we'll also be at shot show. Uh, there's a, a place called gunship helicopters where they have uh, tanks, flamethrowers, 50 cows. They got a helicopter with a, uh, with a two forty nine mounted in the, uh, the doorwell and they'll, they'll take you up there and you know, you get to, to open up on some tire stacks and some cars that they put up on the mountain and stuff. Awesome time. Highly recommend that. Uh, and maybe we'll see you out there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually. What was it called? Gunship. What was it called? Gunship, uh, gunship
0: helicopters.
2: I'm gonna go and message them on social media right now because I want to do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're 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 pretty responsive. Just uh, just let them know that Pomp Smoked sent you, and uh, yeah, I, I had a great time when I when I was out there with them. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please, everyone, go check out her platform. And you know, you don't like she said earlier. You don't have to to agree with everybody, uh, but at at the same time, like the more you listen, the more you'll learn. And who knows, maybe she'll change her mind. Uh, fair winds following season. We'll see you next time here in the smoke pit.
2: Thank you.